1: Hi, it's Martine. I just want to say to our listeners, Happy New Year, and thank you so
2: much for ringing it in with Post Reports. This week, we're taking you inside a new Congress and how the balance of power is undergoing some seismic shifts. As House Democrats are out and Republicans are now in control. 434 representatives-elect have recorded their presence. A quorum is present. My colleague Christina Quinn has been thinking a lot about what's to come, especially as House Republicans have been trying to name a new leader. Christina is one of our newest colleagues on the audio team, and she'll be your guest host over the next couple of days. With that, here's Christina. She's talking with senior political reporter Erin Blake.
1: Okay, here's the show. Can you tell us What happened on the floor today at the House of Representatives?
0: The House of Representatives met for the first time in this Congress, and the first thing that the House does is try to elect a speaker. And I say try to because on the first ballot, they failed to do so. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, the presumptive speaker since Republicans won back the House, uh, had to win a majority of the votes, and he came up well short of that. There were 19 Republican members of the House who voted for somebody else, leaving him well shy of the majority that he needed. So what that means is we've made a little bit of history here. We go to multiple ballots to elect the Speaker for the first time since 1923. Um, That's 100 years ago. And so beyond that, what happens from here? Nobody really knows. But what we do know is that this is a pretty inauspicious start uh, for Kevin McCarthy in what is really his second bid to become Speaker.
1: From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. It's Tuesday, January 3rd. I'm Christina Quinn. Today, as the new members of Congress settle in, we're spilling the tea on the drama behind their first big vote for the new House Speaker and why some Republicans think Kevin McCarthy ain't it. So this is a pretty wild way to kick off the year. And we're just talking to you now, Aaron, right after the first round of voting after 2 p.m. this afternoon. But, you know, embarrassment aside, why is this such a big deal? How unusual is this? Of course, as you say, it's been 100 years since anything like this has happened. But could you break it down a little bit more for us?
0: Yeah, so I think there's a real question about whether this is symbolic, uh, at least going into this vote, whether this was going to be some symbolic rebuke Um, an effort to gain some concessions on the House rules. There is a contingent of the House GOP that basically wants to change the rules to empower rank-and-file lawmakers on committees, uh, on certain procedural matters, like being able to remove a speaker. These are all kind of some of the many asks of this group of, of lawmakers who held out. I think the fact that there was this many defections makes the road back for McCarthy more difficult than I think even some people thought it was going to be. There was a group of about five holdouts that had indicated they were hard nose on McCarthy heading into this, and that would have been enough by itself to prevent him from winning. Uh, the fact that there were 19 on the first ballot means that McCarthy needs to win back a lot of these members, and they're all asking for different things, so that's not an easy task.
1: Aaron, could you tell me about how all of this got started and how we got to what happened today?
0: So, after the November elections, we knew that Republicans were going to have a very slight majority. And so there was some sense that there could be some trouble ahead. Uh, Congressman Andy Biggs decided to challenge McCarthy in the internal House conference vote to nominate the speaker candidate. And there were only a little bit more than 30 votes against McCarthy at that point. But the The election for Speaker requires a majority of the chamber. So it's not like Mitch McConnell where he just needs a majority of Republicans. Kevin McCarthy needs a majority of all members of the House. So he needs the vast, vast majority of all Republicans. And so there's been a lot of kind of very quiet maneuvering. A few members had spoken out and suggested that they would oppose him. But most kind of kept their powder dry and suggested that they were at least open to supporting McCarthy so in recent weeks, we've, we've kind of been trying to discern who was on his side, who was holding out, and, um, and there were several members who we knew were in the mix for voting against him. It wound up being significantly more than I think a lot of people expected in this first vote, though.
1: Aguilar. Jeffries. Jeffries. Alford. Kevin McCarthy. McCarthy. Jeffries. McCarthy. 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 Jeffries. Banks. Jordan. Banks. Banks. Jordan.
0: And so when the votes began, we saw that pick up relatively quickly early in the alphabet. These things are done in alphabetical order. And uh, and by the end, there were 19 that opposed him.
1: Right. And he really could only afford to lose four votes. Can we talk about actually the those defectors? Tell us who these people are.
0: Yeah, so the, they, they run the gamut in certain ways. A lot of them are members of the ultra-conservative House Freedom Caucus, which you might recall is the group that thwarted McCarthy's first bid for speaker back in 2015. He basically wasn't able to win them over and decided to bow out of the race. Um, But it's not completely the House Freedom Caucus. There are some freshmen who are mixed in here who surprised some people uh, by casting their first vote in Congress against McCarthy. Um, There were some, um, some ambitious Republicans like Matt Rosendale who could be running for Senate in the 2024 election cycle. Um, It it really is a a pretty wide, uh, wide group of of Republicans who wound up voting against him, voting for different candidates, I should add. Uh, Candidates who got votes were Andy Biggs, Jim Jordan, Byron Donalds, Jim Banks, uh, former Congressman Lee Zeldin, who left office today. Um, So they haven't necessarily settled on an alternative. But the thing that unites these 19 is that, uh, at least for now, they don't want Kevin McCarthy to become the speaker.
1: And why is that? Why don't they want McCarthy as speaker?
0: Yeah, so uh, some of the initial kind of five to six holdouts basically just made the argument that this was about shaking up the status quo. I'm talking here about Congressman Matt Gates, especially, who was maybe the earliest to emerge as a McCarthy, a never-McCarthy vote.
1: I'm nominating Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan is humble, perhaps today, humble to a fault, maybe... The right person for the job of Speaker of the House isn't someone who wants it so bad. Maybe the right person for the job of Speaker of the House isn't someone who has sold shares of themselves for more than a decade to get it.
0: Others, like Congressman Bob Good from Virginia, Matt Rosendale from Montana, Andy Biggs from Arizona, they focus more on the House rules, and, and changing, you know, the changes that need to be made before they could support somebody like McCarthy. Um, and then we had um, kind of the holdouts who didn't really say a whole lot before, but wound up voting against him, who were still kind of learning what their issues with him are. And certainly McCarthy wants to know what their issues with him are. But again, there, there are so many different dynamics here that winning over all of these people doing any one, two, three, or even five things is going to be very difficult. So, you know, before this vote, Kevin McCarthy put a number of concessions in in his house rules package, and clearly that didn't seem to have done him much good. He can try to go farther, but on some level for some of these members, it seems to be kind of that status quo question, and that's not something that Kevin McCarthy is, is very capable of solving at this point.
1: Okay, and tell me more about that status quo question.
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot of this is coming from the evolution of the Republican Party, uh, starting in the Tea Party uh, era around the 2009-2010 t- um, election year. Uh, there became a premium in the Republican Party on on sticking it to the establishment. And in some ways, the establishment is the leadership of the Republican Party. And so we don't talk too much about the Tea Party these days, but really that uh, the ethos of that movement lives on in a lot of ways, and, and that's created a situation in which uh, some of these members ran for Congress on opposing leadership, trying to shake things up in the Republican Party. Um, others may just genuinely want there to be some changes in how the House conducts its business to empower the rank and file, to allow them to remove a speaker, things like that. I think there's a lot of very different reasons, but that also makes it more difficult for Kevin McCarthy because it's not like he can focus on one thing to solve this problem for himself.
1: After the break, we talk with Aaron about just how Kevin McCarthy has been trying so hard to get his co-workers to like him and why it hasn't been working. We'll be right back. So as Kevin McCarthy was trying to curry favor from his colleagues, he did make a number of concessions from hardliners. And could you just sort of tell us briefly, like, what kind of concessions were they?
0: Yeah, so a lot of these are having to deal with more arcane um, procedures that happen within the House. But the the overall kind of thrust of them is— McCarthy giving rank and file members more power to influence things, uh, whether legislatively through committees um, or in maybe the most significant case, allowing a certain number of members to vote to oust the speaker. Um, we, we've had throughout our history the ability to force those kinds of votes, but it's rarely happened. Um, and the Democrats in 2019 made it very difficult to do that. But now Kevin McCarthy, basically facing a lot of pressure, has had to lower that threshold so any five members can force that vote at any given time. And so there is a, a real thought that even if he somehow pulls out the speakership, uh, there could be a time when they force that vote and it w- might not be the longest uh, lasting speakership we've ever seen.
1: Right. That must have been, <laughs> those must have been some awkward conversations.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but I, if I could just add, I think it's, you know, it's it's not even just so much about whether, you know, Kevin McCarthy wins or somebody else wins and then they're ousted later on. It also just genuinely provides leverage for these members if that threat is out there. And I think that's really, it's really a significant bargaining chip. And so as as the speakership progresses, he's going to have to mine that flank constantly. And because the majority is so narrow, he can't afford to lose that many votes. And and so this is going to be something that's going to hang over the speakership no matter who has it.
1: Right. Well, you know, he told um, he told reporters that he was not surprised by the first ballot and he he did criticize his opponents, uh, saying what we're doing here right now is we got a number of members who are trying to fight for their own personal items instead of fight for the country. Um, To your point about about certain concessions. But uh, do you think that that's a strong argument for him to make, a strong case for him to make? Or is that just sort of pat at this point?
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because this was a really interesting development on uh, on Tuesday morning. We saw a very combative Kevin McCarthy. It it you know, he kind of, you know, set aside the sugar and started applying the vinegar a little bit here where where he was calling out Matt Gates by name. He was um, basically going after uh, these Republicans who were opposing him by, by criticizing them.
1: Are you going to stay in the race, Leader McCarthy? You're not yes, I'm okay. not going anywhere.
0: There's times we're going to have to argue with our own members if they're looking at for only positions for themselves, not for the country. For the last two months, we worked together as a whole conference to develop rules that empower all members. But we're not empowering certain members over others. I think there's a few different ways to read that. I, I don't think it's a uh, an indicator of his strength to to feel like he has to do that. Generally speaking, you want to to cater to these people and make them your friend. Um, but maybe this signals that that option's no longer on the table and that he needs to try whatever tools are at his disposal to try and put pressure on people. Um, I I think that that just kind of reinforces the the difficult math that he faces in in the votes to come.
1: Yeah. Speaking of which, I mean, how long could this go on for? He has 19 defectors that he needs to win over. How long could this go on for?
0: Well, the last time that we did this 100 years ago, this took multiple days. And there's a few reasons for that. Uh, A big one is that every time they vote, they call everybody's name in alphabetical order. So it takes just a long time to record the votes. Um, I think a lot of it depends on how long McCarthy himself sticks it out if he looks like he's not getting to that um, that majority threshold. Um, does he draw this out over, you know, five, six, seven, eight ballots? Do certain members of his party start to rally around an alternative and kind of push him to the side? Um, all of that is is going to be determinative when it comes to how long this takes. But I should add, even if he does bow out and some alternative emerges— It's not clear that person is going to get the required votes. That's going to be very difficult for anybody to do. Um, You know, in 2015, when Paul Ryan emerged as kind of the consensus candidate um, to become Speaker after John Boehner left, he was pretty much the only guy who could do it at the time. And that was when Republicans had a 60-seat majority. So it's, it's a very difficult situation. It could take a very, very long time.
1: And what happens if we don't have a Speaker in place anytime soon?
0: Well, basically, the House can't conduct its business. This is this is part of of getting things in motion. And so uh, for as long as there is no Speaker of the House, that means the House doesn't really do anything. Um, and so uh, that's why this will be the, the House's only focus for the foreseeable future here.
1: And, and this isn't a good look, really, for the Republican Party, is it? Because, you know, all this infighting uh, indicates that, well, if they can't work together— within their own party, you know, what what kind of solidarity can uh, their voters have to rely on? Or is that not the case? Do you think that this sort of chaos is appealing to certain voters?
0: Yeah, I I think that you could certainly make an argument that this doesn't reflect well on the Republican Party. When the Democrat who was uh, introducing Hakeem Jeffries before the vote spoke, uh, Pete Aguilar of California, he said something to the effect of uh, Democrats are united, kind of needling the Republican Party over their discord.
1: We are unified behind a speaker who is an unapologetic advocate for protecting and expanding our freedoms.
0: The House is the one thing in the 2022 election that Republicans won. They lost seats in the governor's races. They lost seats in the Senate. They lost some ground in the state legislature. Um, So the fact that this would be the one area where they get power and then they do this with it immediately, I think, uh, does, you know, maybe tell some voters that um, the Republican Party isn't exactly up to the task of governing. But, you know, the next election is a long ways away, and that may not be on many people's radar by then. Right, right.
1: But McCarthy allies have uh, routinely said that without McCarthy, a consensus candidate would have to emerge between the two parties, and then that would ruin Republican chances of influencing anything in the next Congress. Um, Do you I mean, is it too early to predict that that might be something that has to happen or?
0: Yeah, so this could go a number of different ways. Uh, the McCarthy team has put forward this hypothetical where the next speaker is elected by moderate Republicans and Democrats um, as kind of a, a worst case scenario, basically arguing that people should unite behind him. I, I think it's a little bit fanciful and it's it's kind of meant to be a bluff. Um I think much more likely is if McCarthy looks like he's not going to get the votes, things will turn to the number two House Republican, Steve Scalise, or somebody else if Scalise doesn't look like he has the support. Um, they'll kind of run through a series of options before I think those moderate Republicans would join with with Democrats to 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 nominate the speaker. But that would certainly be a historic thing. But I think we're a, a very long ways from having that kind of fanciful hypothetical uh, take hold.
1: Adams, Jeffries, Adderholt. Okay, so Aaron, they're they're starting a second round of voting as we speak. When is this going to end, Aaron? Please tell us, when is this going to end?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I would recommend that people be ready for uh, a long haul here. I expect this is going to go depending on how late they stay this is going to go into tonight probably multiple days really i think the first thing to watch for is if there are members who voted against mccarthy who start moving towards him or if there's evidence of some kind of alternative emerging you know this doesn't happen very often so it's hard to handicap where it goes from here but i think it's safe to say that this is going to take a while Armstrong.
2: mccarthy
1: McCarthy Klaus Jeffries. Aaron Blake is a senior political reporter for the Post. Around 5:30 this evening, the House finally adjourned for the night. By the third round of voting, McCarthy's support had dwindled even further. Twenty defectors in the party cast their vote for Congressman Jim Jordan instead.
2: Having received the majority of the whole number of votes cast by surname, a speaker has not been elected.
1: That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Renny Speranovsky with help from Eliza Dennis. It was mixed by Ted Muldoon and edited by Rena Flores. If you want up-to-the-minute news updates of the House Speaker vote and what's coming in the new Congress, be sure to check out our coverage online at WashingtonPost.com. And while you're there, subscribe to The Post. It's the best way to support this kind of in-depth political journalism. I'm Christina Quinn. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.
2: When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect.